How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Episode number 12 here for y'all on our normal Thursday time slot. Uh, loaded episode today, as we normally have. Um, you know, we have hockey and basketball playoffs going on right now at different stages in those respective brackets. Um, but we're going to kick it off with a little update on the horse racing, the second of the three Triple Crown races. The Preakness Stakes is about to kick off here. That will take place at Pimlico Racecourse in Baltimore, Maryland, this Saturday, May 21st. Kentucky Derby champion Rich Strike will not run in the race and instead prepare for the Belmont Stakes, which is on Saturday, Saturday June 11th. Uh, the runner-up, which is Epicenter, is now the favorite at 5-4. to four. So nearly the unanimous favorite to win that race. Uh, if I had to pick, I'm taking the favorite. Um, thought he could have won, but Ristrek kind of had an insane comeback. So uh, I'm going to take Epicenter there, and it's pretty much it for that. Like I said, the Belmont Stakes are on June 11th, and that'll be the final of the three races. As we shift to hockey, uh, a lot going on right now in the NHL landscape. Uh, as we go back to the first round of the playoffs, the New York Rangers and Calgary Flames both won their respective game sevens in overtime to advance to the second round. Um, really impressive from the Rangers coming back from down three, one against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, that, but that was pretty much it for big news for the first round. Uh, the second round of the Stanley cup playoffs began on Tuesday. And the lightning had a solid four to one win over the Panthers. Um, the hurricanes beat the Rangers two to one in overtime. Avalanche beat the blues three to two in overtime and the Flames beat the Oilers 9-6 to six as they scored three goals in each period. That game was last night. It was pretty impressive. Um, just checking the score, and it seemed like every 10 minutes there were a few more goals. Yeah, I mean, hockey's always unpredictable, especially in the Stanley Cup Finals, or playoffs rather, but um, even the Stanley Cup Finals too. But um, I, I love playoff hockey. I think it's really interesting. It's really entertaining. Um, it's always pretty high stakes, um, especially when, you know, you can be down – 2-0 and you, you can, you know, kind of storm back and force OT or, you know, score three quick goals in, in third period. Um, that's kind of neat. I really like it a lot. It's unique. Um, kind of shift to kind of how the current series uh, stack up and stand right now. The Eastern Conference, Tampa Bay Lightning versus Florida Panthers. The Lightning are up 1-0, stealing game one in Florida. Uh, the New York Rangers and the Carolina Hurricanes. Hurricanes are up 1-0 as they took their first game at home. Western Conference, St. Louis Blues versus Colorado Avalanche, probably going to be the least competitive series of all three, or all four, rather. Um, kind of the consensus there is Colorado's going to win. They're up 1-0. They took the first game in Colorado. Um, probably going to finish that up in five or six games again. They dominated their first-round series, and they're, you know, clearly the favorites come out of the Western Conference, it feels like right now, um, even as well as the Flames look. And uh, they took their first game against the Edmonton Oilers in Calgary. Uh, they're up 1-0 on the series. Uh, kind of the battle for Alberta as it's been – uh, always been referred to um, should be a really good series to really good teams there. It's probably, I think it'd be the most competitive series. Um, I know the game wasn't super close, but um, those are two really good teams kind of been really good all year from what I looked in the standings at. Um, and then tonight we have a couple game twos going on tonight. We have lightning at Panthers and blues at avalanche um, lightning looking for a, for a three peat in, in their Stanley cup journey here. Um, should be really interesting. The Panthers have been really good all year. I think they were the top team in the Eastern conference. I want to say I'm um, looking at standings. So, uh, should be a really good series there. And the Blues Avalanche, like I said, shouldn't be super competitive, but um, I'd love to see the Blues pull off the upset against the Avalanche. It'd be, it'd be awesome to see. Um, and tomorrow we'll have a couple more game twos before all teams travel, get, a, get an extra day off as they travel to the, uh, the other team's uh, host city sites, if you will. Um, that's pretty much it for hockey right now. A uh, ton of stuff going on in the NHL playoffs. It's really cool. Like I said, I, I love it. Um, I always tune into hockey games, especially in the Seneca playoffs. So, Really like this kind of this time, and I think uh, I think we're condemned to NHL. We'll shift over to golf here. Yeah, no, uh, I love watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. Really, the only hockey I watch throughout the year for the most part. I'll catch a couple games here here and there, but I think the Avalanche will win that in five, and it'll be fun to see. You know, the Western Conference Finals, whoever they draw from Edmonton or Calgary. Uh, but we're gonna shift over to golf here. Uh, pretty busy couple of weeks as we currently at this moment have the second major of the year going on right now. As we go back to last weekend, the AT&T Byron Nelson occurred in McKinney, Texas, wrapped up on Sunday, and the defending champion took home the dub for the second straight year, uh, K.H. Lee, finishing at 26 under, uh, 64, 68, 67, and 63 were his scores. 
earned himself just over 1.6 mil on the weekend. And Jordan Spieth came in second as he is a native Texan. Easiest course, the TPC Craig Ranch course they play the Byron Nelson at. The easiest course on the PGA Tour, and it proved to be just that this past weekend. Insanely low scores. You know, the winner coming in at 26 under. There were a few 25s, a couple 24s, tons of 23 unders. Um, the low rounds of each day were 60, 62, 61, and 61. Those four rounds would have been the four lowest rounds of the season to date, and it's just crazy. Um, you know, they're building the PGA North American headquarters there in Frisco, so maybe they'll shift over to that PGA Frisco course that they're building in the few next few years to help make it more competitive, especially as it's normally the event before the second major of the year. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's uh, crazy low scores, man. It's pretty, pretty shocking. Um, but again, it's entertaining. It's entertaining if you like to watch really good golf. Um, you're going to see a lot of really good shots, really good. Like you said, a bunch of bunch of birdies, a um, couple eagles here and there. So it, it, it's, it's fun to watch for someone who doesn't necessarily love golf, I would say. Um, you know, I, I like golf, I like watching golf. Um, but I mean, for everyone that doesn't love golf, and it's probably pretty fun to watch. You know, like I said, you're going to see a bunch of shots, some really good, what appears to be really good golf pledge because it's an easier course. Um, kind of cool. I mean, I'm sure it's easy for them, but, you know, an average an average Joe would go out there and shoot, still shoot a 90, so, which is just how golf is sometimes. But um, really cool course. I mean, it's really nice up there in McKinney. Um, it's kind of cool that, the you know, people get to go to it. It's a pretty pretty open to the public from what I know. Um, my dad went to it back in the day, said it was really cool. Um you know, it's just like I said, it's kind of open to the public. For one another, there's like kind of like a like a lounge you can go hang out in, um, kind of walk the course if you want to, which is kind of nice. Kind of watch the golfers as they go. So um, that's pretty cool. I, I think more golf should be like that. I know there's there's some events like the, all the majors are pretty prestigious and maybe shouldn't be that way, but I think some of these lesser known or I guess lesser of lesser events of importance should uh, open to the public. I know it's pretty fun to go to. So and I definitely want to go to that someday. Uh, just with it being so close to us, there's a few. You know, the Texas Open in San Antonio as well. I'd want to attend that at some point. It's just close events. I mean, even the event that started today is just up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that would be another one that would be fun to go to maybe when it's back there in a few years. Um, but like I said, the second of four majors of the 2022 PGA Tour season kicked off today. The defending champion Phil Mickelson withdrew from the tournament on Sunday. Uh, Tiger, however, kept his name in the pool and participated in the tournament. As we look at the marquee groupings for the rounds, uh, today and tomorrow before, you know, the cut line on the end of day Friday, and they regroup the guys Saturday and Sunday based on their scores. Uh, but with the groups going into it, insane groups, a few groups I even left out. Um, but Tiger Woods, who shot four over today, uh, Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy. Start on Tiger. Um, he looked really good out of the gate. He was two under through five. But then the last 13 holes, he was six over. Uh, it's really shocking there. It looked like the last four holes or so, that whole group kind of fell off. Uh, Tiger's leg was bothering him. And it wasn't exactly, you know, the kind of golf I wanted to see from that group, but it's about what I expected down the stretch. Um, as we talk about Jordan, world number eight right now in the official world golf rankings. He shot two over, uh, pretty consistent par, couple birdies, couple bogeys here and there uh, throughout the rounds, about what I expected from him, a couple Tee shots went, you know, in the rough, a couple wayward tee shots, but he always has a dialed-in wedge game, and that's what saved him a couple times from, you know, blowing up a hole, getting double bogey. And then Rory McIlroy, the world number seven, one spot ahead of Jordan Spieth, finished at five under. He is currently in the lead. Uh, I know the afternoon rounds are going on right now, probably go on for another few hours. And he looked really good, um, the most dominant, Maybe in every time I've watched golf, the most dominant driver of the golf ball I've ever seen today. Uh, the, every time he used driver, it was absurd. He hits it further than anyone else. He's a small guy. Um, just the way he generates power is absurd. Uh, he was six under through 13. He bogeyed a couple. He birdied 18th, finishing at five under. Just a really, really clean round from him. He still left a few strokes out there, as most golfers do. A really impressive showing from him. I'll be, see, I'll be looking forward to see how that group comes back tomorrow and performs. Uh, the second marquee group of the three I'm going to mention here are the three top golfers in the world all paired together. Number one, Scotty Scheffler. Number two, John Rahm. And number three, Colin Morikawa. All just current 
I mean, scorching hot. Um, Colin Morikawa has won two majors in the past year and a half. Always right there at the top and every week or every week he competes in at least. John Rahm uh, was world number one last year. Had two big wins, including the U.S. Open. Scotty Scheffler, hottest golfer on tour right now. He just won the Masters. He's won five events this year. Uh, they teed it off. They're currently on the seventh hole, I believe, uh, as we're recording this year at about 340 yeah. Central. Um, it's exciting to watch those guys. You never really see, you know, the PGA of America really did a good job in the pairings that they put together for the first two days of this tourney. It'll be interesting to see how those guys play the golf course. Heard the winds are picking up a good bit here this afternoon, so it should make it a little more interesting. Uh, the final pairing I'm going to mention is Dustin Johnson, who's ranked 12. Justin Thomas, who's going to rank, who's ranked ninth, and Patrick Cantlay, who's ranked fifth. A uh, group of three really stout Americans who all have plenty of experience. Patrick Cantlay won the FedEx Cup last year. Dustin Johnson won the Masters in late 2020. Justin Thomas won the Players Championship in 2021, right after his grandpa passed. Um, all these guys are very storied careers. All Legends are soon to be legends of the game. Uh, Scheffler is the current favorite to win the tournament overall. But it's really exciting to see these groups, like I said, with other two. Um, just really good players paired together. And other than, you know, that we had Bryson DeChambeau was on site this week in Tulsa, uh, pa practicing the past three days at Southern Hills Golf Course. And he kind of wanted to figure out where his game was at as he had wrist surgery about seven weeks ago just from, you know, overworking it. Um, and he, you know, the way he swings the golf club, he has a, his bowed wrist. And so sometimes it can inhibit his ability to, you know, like lift weights and swing at the speeds he wants to, uh, which resulted in him getting surgery. But he decided after training that he wasn't ready to compete and he wants to wait till he's at 100%. Um, so, he, you know, he head back to Frisco where he lives and probably continue to rehab that wrist as he's getting closer and closer to come back and competing. But other than that, I mean, every good players in the field this week, another really good pairing was Cam Smith, Victor Hovland, and Will Zalatoris. Three really, really solid guys. Uh, Will Zalatoris is in second right now. But there's there's so many good pairings out there. I'm forgetting some even still. Um, that's pretty much it, though. Uh, it'll conclude on Sunday. And whoever the top three guys are, are going to be taking home a pretty big payday. Yeah, um, I guess – Little, a little live update, I guess, here at about 3.43 Central Time. Uh, Scotty is – see, he's 200 through seven, picked up a, an eagle on five. Uh, John Rahm is – let's see, he's 100 on the, on the day uh, with a bogey on one and a pair of birdies on two and five. And then, let's see, I don't know where. Let's, I know he's even on the day. I'm trying to find him now. Colin Moore – yeah, he's – yeah, Morikawa is even on the day. He's part of everything so far through seven. Um, still plenty of time to get – get under there um and then lucas herbert is actually uh making a run here he is 300 through five who knows who knows if that holds i mean he's through five but um he looks good so far too uh he has let's see just three just three birdies along the way at, uh through five so um he got a lesser known name i guess in terms of this tournament but um should be good i mean pga championship always kind of comes down to the last day or so so um Definitely gonna be watching that on Sunday for sure. Um, definitely the next couple of days, but definitely on Sunday for sure. Tune in a bunch. But uh, gonna shift over to baseball here. A um, couple player news before we get into our standings update here this week. Um, gonna kind of start shifting off every other week. We'll do standings, and then in between the weeks, we'll do uh, we'll do stats updates. That way we can kind of keep it fresh. Um, like I've been saying, baseball stats are always gonna fluctuate a little bit, especially as early on in the season. So, um, but some big news coming out of the New York Mets organization uh, last night. Their star starting pitcher, Max Scherzer, uh, has been shut down for six to eight weeks with a, uh, what they're describing as a moderate to high-grade oblique strain in his left side. Um, he actually pulled himself from the game last night. He was in a 1-1, a 1-0 count, or an, uh, so rather an 0-1 count. Um, I think St. Louis Cardinals, top six, two on, two out. Um, he threw he was, uh, 86 pitches in through pitch 87. Um, it was a really bad slider, way down, way away. Um he immediately turned the dugout of the Mets and kind of way did like kind of like the throat, like the uh, hand across the like I'm done, like I got I got to get out. Um, which if anybody knows Max Scherzer, I mean that guy's the ultimate competitor. Um, never wants to be taken out of a game. He's been I mean he's been known and he you've seen him do it many a times. Argue with his managers about not coming out of the game. So to see him remove himself from the game in such a key situation, uh, like I said, two on two out, top six. Um, you know he's ahead in the count too, and 
and he gets one and one even and he's, and he's done. So clearly something was going wrong there. Um, they're going to shut him down for six to eight weeks. I mean, probably could be back in four to six, but with a guy at his age and of his stature, you, the team's playing so well, you just let him be. Um, we'll get him healthy. No need to rush him back right now that, you know, they're playing for more than just, you know, July, Jan- June, August baseball. They're trying to play for October baseball. So um, as good as they look right now. So definitely the right move to shut him down there. Uh, and then a division rival, uh, where Max Scherzer you know, played most of his career was um, in Washington. Uh, their star left fielder Juan Soto is rumored to be a trade piece for them, kind of on the trade block here. Um, they look really bad right now, and typically teams that, that are really bad kind of through uh, through July, kind of in those waning waning few days of July and then the first couple of days of August as the trade the trade deadline usually falls that first week of August. It's August 2nd this year. Um, they usually look to move their biggest play, their biggest stars, teams that literally don't have a bright future. I'm going to look to move to some of their best players for prospect calls. I mean, they did it last year with Trey Turner and uh, Max Scherzer. We sent them to the Dodgers for a massive haul of prospects. Um, a couple guys that are not playing day-to-day for him. But uh, it sounds like they're going to be kind of looking to part ways with him. Um, it doesn't shock me. I and mean, they're, they're kind of in long-term rebuild mode. Um, so it doesn't surprise me they want to move, want to move. So I don't think they got a deal done with him. But, um, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to play that deal with the Nationals. Um, you know, for me, I guess my initial thoughts on it are I'm not shocked. And I guess landing spots, I don't think they're going to train within the division. If if they wanted to, I think the Mets would make a huge push for him because that's that's I think that's the one piece they're missing uh, is, is a one more hitter. And they're, you know, right up there with the Yankees and the Dodgers. Um, that's kind of these two perennial contenders, uh, especially long-term there for him. It kind of solidifies their long-term roster there in, in New York. Um I don't think that'll happen. I don't think they're going to trade within the division within the league. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily rule out. I mean, they traded uh, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner two elite players at their positions last year within the league of the Dodgers. Um, I'd throw the Dodgers on the list, throw the Padres, the giants um, all on the list there for him, potentially the Brewers for sure. I think the Brewers could be a huge, huge team in play. They could use another bat. They can use another outfielder. Um, like AL teams, you're looking at maybe the angels, uh, the Astros and the Yankees. Teams are going to be high, super high contenders, even even the even the Blue Jays. Um, just kind of off the top of my head, I mean, all big teams in contention, they'll be looking to trade for him. So, and teams that are going to want to have him in their long term picture. So, I mean, who wouldn't want him in the long term picture? The guy's um, one of the biggest stars in the MLB, um, one of the best bats in the league. So, um, but yeah, definitely interesting that they're going to move him. Um, he's kind of on par with the Red Sox moving Mookie Betts um, a couple off seasons ago. It's kind of mind boggling that you move you know, a top five player at the time, but at the same time, you know, from a money perspective and from a long-term perspective, they're not really in a position to be competing right now. So I get it. Yeah, no, it's definitely kind of surprising, but like you said, it makes sense for them. Uh, just kind of doing what the Orioles did, trading away their guys like the Orioles did Manny Machado. Uh, just get a ton of prospects for them. See what you can get, get some high picks, just result of being bad and having a bad record. Uh, you get to pick higher and kind of build that farm system up and, get guys to the majors. Um, my team for Juan Soto is the Blue Jays. I really thought, you know, they could make a run for him. They have some money. Um, I don't know. I don't think they would trade Soto within the division, within the league. I could see it for the right uh, haul, I guess. But it'd be tough. It's just such a weird scenario for them. Um, you know, when Mookie was traded, he was traded to the opposite league. So I could see a similar thing with Soto. It, it just depends on what teams are going to want to give up. It's going to probably end up in a bidding war, and I think the Nationals will probably care less to where it goes and more about what they get in return. Yeah. But definitely interesting. Uh, see, be really interesting to see if it does go through and what they get in return if it does. Um, but that's pretty much it for, like, big news. Uh, just kind of shift to standings here in MLB. I'm going to cover the AL this week. Start off with the Orioles division, the AL East. The Yankees lead that division by five games. Hold the best record in the majors right now. Continue to be the hottest team in the first month or so of action. Uh, Just behind them are the Rays and the Blue Jays, while they are both just above 500. And then the Red Sox and Orioles sitting at the bottom of the division, no surprise, uh, within a game of each other. Uh, I will mention the Orioles just walked off. Three-run bomb versus the Yankees. Let's go. All right. They'll love to see it. Uh, the guy that hit the bomb, Anthony Santander, has been hot as of late. So hopefully he's kind of finding his footing. But um, Orioles were looking good. They were pretty much 500 about a week and a half ago, and they've lost six in a row before today. Um, so still sputtering uh, probably a little bit before they find, you know, their true place in the conf- or in the league. And they got to call some guys up. 
it's long overdue for a few guys. Um, as soon as they do, I feel like they can play 500 baseball for the rest of the year just because of this year lineup that they'll have day in and day out. Um, they'll, I think they'll be much more competitive. Their pitching has been good this year. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see kind of the route they take. But about what I expected from AL East early on here in the season. Um, as we shift to the AL Central, Twins lead that division by three and a half games. Kind of surprising. I don't think we saw this coming. Uh, Twins holding the lead right now. Uh, over the White Sox and Guardians are just behind them at four and a half games back from the Twins. Uh, Cleveland and Chicago sit at or just below 500. Um, kind of shocking. They just kind of haven't played a lot of complete games as a team. Um, and then not shocking, the Royals and Tigers are at the bottom of that division with a record below 400. Um, you know, two teams that are kind of rebuilding. Uh, as well as a few other teams in the AL. And it'll probably be a few years before they can get back to the top of that division. To round out the American League standings, we have the AL West, and the Astros have regained first place of the division uh, as they took over the Angels. The Rangers uh, swept the Angels, I believe, and so Astros took them over in, as a result of that. Uh, they lead the Angels by one game. The rest of the division, uh, the Mariners, Rangers, and Athletics all sit well below 500. Uh, kind of shocking for Seattle, but Texas and Oakland kind of teams that were looking to not have too hot of seasons um, just because of guys they lost to whether that be free agency or injury. Uh, they're each six or more games back at the Astros in first. Yeah, for sure. I'll say Texas has a super bright future. I mean, Jack Leader looks really good right now um, in the minors. And once they get Josh Young healthy, I think he's going to be a centerpiece in that team, too, at third base. Probably have one of the better infields. If they can figure out their first base situation, they'll have a really good infield um, of Seager, Simeon, Young, and whoever slots in at first base for them. It's probably TBD long-term, I guess. But they have a really good outlook long-term. And then Oakland, Seattle. Kind of surprising for Seattle, but Oakland, who knows what they're doing over there, man. Money ball, I guess, but I don't see it right now for them on the money yeah. ball front. But we'll kind of shift over to the National League here. Um, and at least talking about the Mets losing Scherzer for six to eight weeks. They're still comfortably atop the division with the six-game leader of the field. Um, the rest of it, the rest of the teams in the division sit below 500 in the Marlins, Nationals, Phillies, and Braves. Um, I mean, not super surprising. Little, little surprising to the Braves be this bad, but, you know, kind of knew that happened some inconsistent pitching potentially this year. Um, Ronald Acuna Jr. has had a slow, slow, you know, slow start to his his rehab – or not rehab, rather, but kind of getting back into the swing of things um, after that ACL injury last year. So he hadn't quite been himself for the Braves. I think once he kind of gets into a swing, they could make a run here and maybe get a few games in between the Mets, um, for, you know, back from him. But until then, it'll be kind of shaky season for them potentially. Um Mets, like I said, have plenty of, of wiggle room and time to let Scherzer get held with the six-game lead. So they should probably sit there for a while. Um, and I'll central the Brewers to the top of the division with a three-and-a-half game lead over the Cardinals. Um, rest of the rest of the division is below 500 and are all seven or more games back from the leading Brewers, that being the Cubs, Pirates, and Reds. Um, you know, Pirates and Reds being two of the worst teams in the league. Um, the Reds certainly are the worst. They're awful. Um, talk about teams that are looking to sell. At the deadline, I mean, they have like maybe one or two guys to sell, and I don't think they're going to trade Hunter Green, their rookie pitcher, who should run away with the NL Rookie of the Year. The guy's been a monster. Um, he took a no-no into the seventh inning, uh, pitched seven – or into the eighth inning. He pitched seven in, seven in the third innings, um, gave up two two walks um, start the, starts to start the eighth inning after getting a quick out. Um, they pull him. They put in a reliever who – gives up another walk or no, he, he hit a batter, I think. And then he gave up a ground out. And so uh, the pirates ended up winning one to zero, despite getting no hit by the reds and a combined no hitter, um, which is pretty crazy that you can lose a no hitter. Um, so the reds offense is really awful. I mean, they're not going to do anything with it. So um, a couple guys probably on the move from there. Maybe Jesse Winker potentially is probably the only guy I could see moved. That's really going to be worth anything um, for them. Uh, but the brewers, again, that should be, that should be a tight, tight race for them. The Cardinals here, but down kind of, as we get into kind of the dog days of the summer, um, once we get into June, July, and then into August is really when teams kind of have to kind of gut it out and, and you know, get get it done. Um, kind of, like I said, the dog days of baseball kind of in August. So they get into the summer, get through the all-star break, um, kind of get some solidified races here. But it should be a Brewers-Cardinals for most of the season there within a couple of games of each other. Then out in the National League West, um, the Dodgers are made on top of the division despite a four-game losing streak last week, um, dropped some – 
head scratchers, some, you know, lot dropped some games and, you know, kind of blew a couple leads late. Um, it's in, it's a baseball fashion. You're going to lose some games. You shouldn't. Um, that's just how it is when you're playing. I think they're playing like 31 games in like 33 days or something like that. They're playing a lot of games in a short amount of time. They're almost done with that stretch here, but um, yeah, that's just going to happen sometimes. They bounce back and won five straight though. Hold the second best record in the majors. Um, you know, again, they're, they're still up two, two and three games in the Padres and Giants uh, despite the four game losing streak. So um, they've looked good so far, but as advertised for them, um, Giants have looked all right. I kind of had a losing streak there for a bit, and they kind of picked it back up. Same with the Padres. They looked good all year. Um, D-backs and Rockies have both kind of fall back, fell, fallen back to earth um, and are below 500 or seven games back from the Dodgers. Um, not super surprising. The Rockies, I think, are 0-5 against the Giants this year. So that really doesn't help when you go 0-5 against a divisional opponent that you're going to see a bunch early on. Um, and the D-backs just – they just finished up a four-game series. The Dodgers got swept in L.A., so – um, just two teams that, that have always struggled against their own division. Um, that's never going to help. So uh, look for, again, look for that to be a tight race between the Dodgers, Padres, and Giants kind of as we get into the summer and down the stretch here. Um, but they're a month to play. I mean, it's, for the most part, it's chalk, kind of what you expected, especially nationally. I think the only thing you're, you didn't really expect to see was the White Sox be as bad as they are below 500. And um, and I guess really the Angels being as good as they are. Other than that, I mean, it's pretty much chalk. It's kind of what we expected. Um I mean, maybe maybe the Blue Jays expect to be a little bit better, but I mean, it's also early. They're above 500, so that's all you can really ask for early early in the season. So, like I said, pretty much chalk through base through um, the Major League Baseball system here. So, uh, um, I guess we're kind of shifting to the college baseball ranks here in a minute. Yeah, no, I agree with you pretty much on what you said there about you know kind of what we expected from teams versus what we're getting from through the first four or five weeks of the season. Um, I mean, yeah, Blue Jays should be better. Other Royals would be a little bit better, even though they're rebuilding. Um, you know, it'd be interesting. Still got probably five months, four months left of the regular season before the playoffs and World Series wrapping up in early November. Uh, it's kind of shift to the college level of baseball. Very big week here on the college front um, between this episode and episode 13 coming at y'all next Thursday. There will be a lot that happens. Uh, for this past week, the Texas Tech – Red Raiders played their best series of the year this past weekend versus number three, Oklahoma State Cowboys. They swept them in Stillwater, uh, which is where the Cowboys play. A uh, very nice stadium, I will say. Right up there was TCU. as probably the nicest stadium in the Big 12. I uh, just wish Tech would kind of do some renovations with the stands and the field. Grass and dirt is much better than the all-turf field that we have here. Um, Tech, you know, their Sunday pitching finally came through. They scored runs at the right time, and they outscored the Cowboys 22-13 to 13 for the series as a whole. They won 7-6 to six on Friday as a kind of wild ending. Um, a pickle between third and home. Oklahoma State guy was trying to score, and they cut him off, and Cole ends up tagging him right there a few feet before, before he scores uh, to win the game. That was huge. Andrew Morris pitched pretty well. And then Saturday, uh, Tech won 9-3. to three. Brandon Birdsell, top 10 pitcher in the country, uh, pitched really, really well. He went seven innings, allowed two runs. One was on a solo bomb to a dude that hit a 513-foot home run the day before on Friday. Uh, the longest home run recorded in the StatCast era, uh, obviously with aluminum bats, composite bats, non-wooden bats that they use uh, at the college level. It is a little aided, so to speak. Uh, it's not like hitting a 500-footer with a wood bat, but still – very impressive, uh, really big guy. It was crazy to see just live that he put one over the jumbotron in left left field. And then to wrap out, wrap, round out the series on Sunday, we won six to four. Uh, shout out to Chase Hampton as he went five innings, allowing just one run on Sunday. Seems like he had his first solid outing in a while. Um, he was kind of under the weather in March and went about four weeks without an appearance. Came back his last three appearances or so since he returned were pretty bad. Um, but he's on site to start this sun, this finale uh, Saturday in this weekend's case against OU. So hopefully he puts another quality outing now there out there so we can at least have some you know confidence in our pitchers outside Morris and Bird. So um, Cole Stillwell, first baseman, and Owen Washburn, the right fielder. Both at Grand Slams uh, in the first two games, it was huge. Uh, felt like we were kind of losing momentum going into that. And they were both produced 
uh, as part of big offensive innings for the Red Raiders and kind of kept it going where it seemed like we could have easily, you know, lost the game there as we have a few times this season. Uh, really impressed with Cole and Owen. Owen's been pretty consistent on the season, batting around 320. Cole's really come on as of late. It seems like the first two months of the season, he was hitting around 220 or so. He's sitting right there at 300, 310, uh, looking really good. Hopefully, you know, his experience can pay off as we get to the, you know, the most important part of the season here coming up. Um, but Texas Tech closes out the regular season this weekend. Uh, they have a three-game set here in Lubbock starting tonight versus the Oklahoma Sooners. The Red Raiders need to win two of three to share the Big 12 title with TCU, who swept them in Fort Worth. And if they sweep the Sooners, then they win the Big 12 regular season title outright. Uh, that would be huge for Texas Tech. as what's kind of seemed like a down year. Um, I looked back, at least last year, uh, if Tech gets swept this weekend, they'll have the same conference record as last year. They've already won more conference series than they did last year. They lost three last year, um, and they've only lost one to sweep to TCU, like I just mentioned, this year. Really impressive. Techs looked really good at home. I think that's been the difference this year is last year they had seven losses at home. This year they have two, I believe. So that's exciting to see kind of how even with not that many fans um, that can fit into the ballpark just for the sake of the capacity that it holds, um, how big home field advantage plays for us. The Big 12 regular season play wraps up this Saturday uh, with tournament play kicking off on Wednesday, May 25th at Globe Life Field in Arlington, where the Texas Rangers play. Uh, once each conference tourney concludes, the regional and then super regionals will take place before the eight teams that come out of the supers head to Omaha for the College World Series. Uh, real quick, we'll probably touch on it next week in more detail, but regionals are top 16 teams in the country host a regional, and they each host a two, three, and four seed. It's double elimination, four-team bracket, um, and you play until every team's lost twice except one, and that team's a champion. And then from there, there's a Super Regional where the top eight remaining teams host, and they have a series versus another team. Um, normal three-game set, whoever wins that series goes on to Omaha. So high-stakes matchups coming up here soon, and it's really important to get your roster at the best state um, as we kind of round out the regular season. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, you mentioned it. Kind of, I'll touch on the on the series first, but uh, you mentioned Cole, Cole and Owen have been huge. I mean, Owen had a huge RBI hit. Uh, I think it was a, the single, uh, two RBI single in game three on Sunday in Oklahoma State. So um, talk about a guy who's just been really solid all year in the clutch. Um, true freshman nonetheless. So um, that guy's probably going to be only be here for three seasons, which I'm okay with. That means he's doing something right. Um, he's he a really good player, though. Probably one of my favorite guys on the team. Uh, I mean, first kind of moment we saw of him was that walk off against Michigan in the game, game one of the year. And he's been nothing but clutch since then too. So um, really good to have that as well. And Cole, like you said, Cole has been coming on really, really, really strong as we figured it would eventually um, kind of a really slow start to his year, especially kind of as opening conference play um, kind of a slow start, but he's really come on lately and uh, he's been pretty clutch too, uh, kind of in big moments, even if it's in the fourth inning, which I think is when his grand slam was. And it's, or I think it was either third or fourth inning on Friday, but yeah, it's a big moment. You come up bases loaded. Uh, with a chance to give your team a big lead against one of the best pitchers in the country at Oklahoma State, um, and he delivers. So really good to see him coming on here. It's it's going to be key. I, I think we were talking about it preseason, um, kind of before the season started. That you know if if, if Cole could be one of the one of those guys for this year, it should be a good year, um, and we expected him to, and, and it has been. So he's really had a really good year, uh, kind of to close out the season here and um, talk about a massive series um, for the Red Raiders this weekend. It doesn't get much bigger than this. You want to go into you want to go into the Big 12 tournament hot and healthy. Um, you want to go in, you know, hopefully get yourself a, a regional host spot and then set yourself up to, to host a super regional as well. So, um, you know, I think I'd feel comfortable. Yeah, I'd like to be a top eight team going into the regional. That way you can kind of secure, you know, without any doubts that you're going to be, they're going to be hosting a super. But, um, you know, if they're at nine or 10, I'll feel comfortable as well. You're usually good for one or two upsets in that top top eight grouping. So uh, we'll see, but I'm really looking forward to the this series. And then um, I'll be back in Lubbock. Uh, you'll be at the game tonight. I won't be. I'm still in Austin, but um, really looking forward to going to the regional. I assume we're going to host a regional. I would be shocked if we didn't at this point, unless we got swept in this series and then looked terrible in the Big 12 tournament. Um, so we should host a regional. I'll be excited to go to that and when I'm back in Lubbock. Um, so that'll be really cool, but we're looking forward to this series. Should be awesome. Um, should be huge. Should be, you know, monumental. So hopefully you get two good, good outings from the starters on, on 
I guess, I guess Thursday, Friday, rather than Friday, Saturday. And then hopefully Hampton can kind of follow up his good outing on Sunday with another one on Saturday, uh, which would be huge for the team to kind of see some consistency from him down the stretch. And then kind of get into some big series across the, across the country this week or weekend rather. Um, most will start today and then close uh, Saturday as conference tournaments get going here pretty soon uh, with the Big 12 tournament Wednesday. But uh, Virginia, number 12, Virginia at number 10, Louisville should be a monster series for the ACC. Um, you know, Virginia is a team that looked like a top five team for a lot part of the season and they've had some struggles as of late. Those um, of Louisville can kind of capitalize, uh, take a series at home and vault themselves into maybe the top five, depending on how the top, you know, eight to five fare. Um, number 14, Notre Dame at number nine, Miami, two teams that have looked really good all year. Again, Miami, a team that looked like a top five team for a long time, um, kind of has had some struggles. On the stretch, picked it up the last, like their last series, they picked it up and uh, kind of jumped back in the top 10. But, uh, We'll see what they're what kind of they're made of this week. It should be a good series against Notre Dame. And then uh, UCLA number 23 at Oregon State number two. I think every Texas Tech fan's pulling for UCLA this week in or at Oregon State up in uh, Corvallis. Really hoping to see them pull off an upset here. Um, would be nice. Oregon State State at two after losing three games this week, which is kind of surprising. I figured um, I remember who's at three, but three, four, and five being uh, Stanford, uh, Texas Tech, and um, I don't remember who's at three now. I'm forgetting, drawing a blank. But um, kind of figured that those teams would jump ahead and go from like two to four, and then Oregon State would drop, drop to five, losing, you know, three games. But nevertheless, they stayed at two. So um, should be a three really good series this week, aside from a couple others that will wrap up across the country that will have some implications with a couple, maybe a ranked team or non-ranked team. So we'll see there. But um Kind of a jump in the rankings here. Um, a lot of teams will have a couple spots in each direction, but nothing too substantial. Um, a couple of risers, though. Stanford uh, from 8 to 4. Texas Tech from 9 to 5. Texas A&M from 10 to 6. So that kind of that, that, eight, that 10, 8 to 10 grouping kind of shifted up uh, four spots each. And then uh, TCU went from unranked 24. And a couple of followers this week. Oklahoma State goes from 3 to 8 after – or, yeah, from 3 to 8 after getting swept at home against Texas Tech. And then LSU is now unranked. Um but like we said, a bunch of teams that have kind of jumped up at one or two spots in each direction, but nothing noteworthy there. Um, we'll kind of shift it over to the NBA scene here. Um, a couple of big, big playoff series kind of wrapped up last week. Um, the Celtics and Mavs both won game six and seven in their series to advance. They're both down 3-2, backs against the wall. Uh, both teams looked really, really strong in game six and seven of their series, especially game seven for both teams. Um, really wasn't close in either game seven, to be honest. I was looking forward to those game sevens, thinking to be some epic matchups, and um, both teams cruised to an easy victory. So um, good looks there for them. Going into their new series here, the, the Warriors took out uh, the Memphis Grizzlies in game six uh, back in Golden State. No shock there. Um, and conference finals began on Tuesday. Eastern Conference finals, uh, Celtics versus Heat. Heater up uh, 1-0. They won 118 to 107. Uh, tail two halves from Celtics. They led it eight by uh, led by eight at half. Tatum had I think 20, 22 at half against the Celtics and finished oh with 29. God. Finished with like 29. So um, you know, really not a good showing from him in the second half. Um, I mean, Miami was up 30 at one point, uh, or no, they weren't up 30, but they were up like 20 at one point um, in the second quarter or third quarter rather. So um, they went on a 22 to two run. And outscored Boston by 25 in the third quarter. So it was a massive third quarter for them. Um, I mean, Jimmy had like 17 in the third quarter. I mean, he went off. He finished with 41, 9, and 5. So um, playoff Jimmy Butler's in full effect. And out in the Western Conference, the Dallas Mavericks and Golden State Warriors. Uh, Golden State took game one at home as well. Uh, they won 112 to 87, uh, led by 30 at one point. It was never really a competition, uh, kind of since the mid-second quarter on. The Mavs kind of made it a ball game, but uh, Golden State was just too much for them. They, you know, they Mavs really couldn't shoot the ball well. Never got into kind of an offensive rhythm. They shot 30, 36% from the field and 23% from beyond the arc. So it's not a good shooting day for overall for them. Um, Clay and Steph combined for 36 and a balanced offensive technique. Jordan Poole had a really solid game. I think all five starters were in double figures. Um, Andrew Wiggins had a great game, shot really well. Going to be hard to beat that team when, when Andrew Wiggins shoots as well as he does. So, um, you know, he's he. I think he's kind of the key piece for them. And if they can make this run and kind of close it out with an NBA championship here, um, obviously Jordan Poole. But I think Andrew Wiggins, kind of a guy who's never really lived up to that number one overall pick hype, and he might be living up to it now at the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, no, you mentioned Wiggins. Uh, it's really impressive. He was the one of two guys off the bench that, in double figures, seven total for the Warriors. Really impressive showing. I think that's what they offer that, you know, maybe Phoenix didn't offer in terms of what the Mavs have seen. Um, even the Jazz that they played in the first round wasn't 
wasn't really expecting the Warriors to come out that balanced. I think, you know, the Mavs in the four games, the Warriors and Mavs played against each other in the regular season. The Warriors won three of them, and the Mavs dominated the one that they won. Um, and they, they won it by throwing everything at Steph. Uh, Clay and Draymond were not playing in that game, though. So it's a whole different team when you add Clay and Draymond, you know, the big three kind of so much experience between them. Uh, they, they've been down this road countless times trying to get to their – I mean, this is their sixth conference, conference finals together. It's crazy what they've been able to do. Um, but game two of the Eastern Conference finals is tonight at 8.30 Eastern here in about just over three hours. Uh, but if both series go seven games, which I think the East might, I don't think the West will. I think the Warriors win that in five. Um, Eastern Conference Finals will conclude on Sunday, May 29th. The Western Conference Finals will conclude the following day, Monday, May 30th. Um, so a couple intriguing series here. I'm really excited to see how the East uh, especially plays out as I just feel like, I mean, I feel like whoever comes out of the East is going to win it all. It's just, much more competitive this playoffs. I feel like, you know, it's been really weird the way the West has been, you know, the Grizzlies beat the Warriors by 55 or they beat them by 50, but they were up at 55 at one point with the Warriors, you know, playing everyone and John Morant was out. And then, you know, the Mavs kill the Suns in game seven, they were up by 40. So it's just really weird for the West. And I don't think, you know, the teams that have advanced, really benefited off of kind of really weird games. Uh, and I don't think that'll help them when they play a team in the East to, you know, have, they all have stars at this point in the playoffs, every team's going to have a star, uh, but I feel like just East teams have been much more consistent and much like they were in the regular season as compared to the West. Um, that's pretty much it in terms of the current playoffs right now. Like I said, only the conference finals left. Um, we'll have the finals. Uh, between the West and East winners in a couple weeks here. Um, but in terms of you know, the college level, kind of as we get towards NBA draft here, the Texas Tech star uh, power forward Bryson Williams, who was transferred in from UTEP this past season, uh, played a pivotal role for the Red Raiders, kind of the most valuable guy on the team. He received an invite to the NBA Combine, which is really big. Uh, he balled out in the G League elite camp, which is kind of like a kind of like a pro day in terms of college football um, where a bunch of guys that aren't invited to the combine could go show out and play games against each other, kind of prove their worth and earn a spot at that combine and boost their stock. Uh, maybe guys that haven't been looked at as draft picks early on in the off season, but maybe are now gaining attention. Uh, I know a few other guys received an invite as well. I feel like Bryson's was most notable just because he had like 27 points uh, and some double digit rebounds in the Magic took home the first pick. You know, the Magic, Thunder, Rockets, and Blazers all had equal chances at the top pick, I believe. Magic had the first pick, Thunder the second, Rockets third, Kings fourth, which was shocking. Uh, it seems like they were going to be 9, 10, 11 range, and they got into that top four. Uh, so that's big for them. Uh, Pistons at five should find a really solid playmaker to put next to Cade. Pacers at six, Blazers at seven. Disappointing for them. Uh, Dame was their representative at the lottery. It's just funny, his reaction when he realized that they weren't going to get the top four pick that they all thought they were going to get. Uh, Pelicans are at eight, Spurs at nine, Wizards at 10, Knicks at 11, Thunder at 12. 13 is the Hornets and 14 is the Cavs. Um, so now we have all the picks finalized, uh, picks 15 through 30. NBA draft is just two rounds, 30 picks a round. The rest of the first round is based off teams' records from the season. Uh, the draft day will be June 23rd. That's a Thursday. I believe it's about five weeks from now. So that'll be exciting to look forward to watch. Uh, Spurs have like the ninth, 20th, and 25th picks. So that'll be exciting to see if maybe they can move them around and get a high-impact guy while they're rebuilding. Yeah, NBA draft's always interesting. I mean, it's especially interesting this year. I mean, usually there's kind of a clear-cut one to two top players, and this year um, there's really no – I mean, you can kind of have an idea for who the, the better players are in this draft, um, being like a Paolo Bancaro, Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, um, I don't know, especially the guy's name from Iowa, Jay Nivey, but there's really no clear-cut number one, though. Uh, usually there kind of is a clear-cut number one, especially in the past few years, kind of like last year with Cade. Um 
you know, your prior was Zion. So there's always kind of a, a, a clear cut number one. We just haven't had that this year. So it should be interesting. I think Paolo Bancaro should go one. Um, that's just me. People are going to make the connection with Chet uh, going to play with Jalen Suggs in Orlando with the high school connection. But I just don't think that's smart. I think they should pick Paolo. I think he's the best player in the draft. Um, but we'll see. I think the Thunder are praying that the Rock that, or that the, uh, the Magic take uh, Chet and they let him to get Paolo there, but um, play with, with Shy. I think it would be a monstrous duel of, of – uh, Shy and Paolo would be awesome there in Oklahoma City. So I'm rooting for the Magic to take Chet just because I want to see that that duo in Oklahoma City with Shy. But we'll see. Um, so should we saying hoping Bryce Williams gets drafted? Uh, should be a second rounder at this point if he performs well at the G League uh, Combine or the NBA Combine. So um, looking forward to that. Yeah, no. Um, like you said, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the top ten shakes out. After that, it's pretty much you know a bunch of a big group of guys all expected to go in the range of. 10 to 20 something. Um, but I like Van Carroll a lot too. I mean, six foot 10, a dude that's big as he is and has that athleticism that he brings. Um, really no weakness in his game. Should be fun to watch at the next level. I also really like Jabari Smith from Auburn. I think he could go to the Magic at one. Uh, Magic's weird, weird team to have number one because you really don't have an idea of what direction they want to go um, with that roster. So It'll be fun to see him draft night, and hopefully we'll have more of an idea of who's going early uh, when the night comes. But to round out the episode today, we're going to talk about football, uh, kicking it off with NFL here. Got a lot of news this week. Uh, it seems like after every episode we drop, there's something that happens, and there very much so was this week, uh, about five or so signings, re-signings. Um, exciting news. Um, but we start off here. A Ravens news, longtime Ravens punter Sam Cook. He retired from the NFL today, uh, undoubtedly a Ravens legend. Leads the franchise in career games played. Uh, he played in 256 games. I believe Terrell Suggs was 229 and Ray Lewis was 226. Uh, a revolutionary career. Uh, he's a revolutionary punter of the game. The, just the, what, he, what he did with the how he could spin the ball, the way it came off. You know, When he came into the league, it was pretty much – you know, straight right, straight left, or straight middle, kind of just, and you can gauge the power of it. But he had, he has a famous punt called the Cook Hook. Um, he also has like knuckleball punts that change directions while they're in the air. It's crazy what he's done for the game. Really cool to see kind of, you know, punting's kind of a thing that's really underlooked in today's game. And normally punters are holders as well. So very valuable guys on a team that really get overlooked. Uh, obviously, you never want to be in a scenario where you're punting. But nonetheless, it's exciting to have a good punter, and it's it's been really exciting to know the past 16 years, as long as I've followed the Ravens, that we've had a really good guy back there and incredible special teamer, incredible leader, uh, all-around great pro. So shout-out to him. Um, with him, you know, kind of retiring, we drafted a punter in the fourth round. He's going to take over a special teams consultant, kind of an assistant role. Uh, help mentor the punter that we drafted and hopefully he'll be the next Sam Cook. Um, but from the Super Bowl team 10 years ago, only two guys remain, Justin Tucker and Josh Bynes, who's a backup linebacker. Um, exciting new era, uh, but it's sad to see the special teamers go. You know, guys that I really enjoyed watching, even though it's special teams, like I said, it's just fun to watch uh, guys be really good at what they do and what they've worked so hard for. So, uh, in other terms, we got some uh, – NFL is down in Texas this week. Met with Deshaun Watson. They're trying to determine what his future in the NFL looks like, um, short-term mainly, and what the suspension could be in place. Duration of it, maybe fines. Uh, if the allegations are true, you know, 22 lawsuits filed against him and kind of iron out all of the – kind of the final saying on what's going to be his punishment for that. Uh, but it's nice to have him back in the game. You know, a really, really high-caliber quarterback who did a lot with Little there in Houston. And, I mean, had he not blown the 24-point lead to KC, uh, I don't think Mahomes is what he is today. Today, um, Cool to see Deshaun Watson back in the league. I know it's kind of controversial. Some people don't think he should be back in the league based off what he's been accused for. Um, but I like it when all the best players are playing. You know, last season was really frustrating with not only the Ravens, but every team, I mean, had a big injury, it seemed like. And it's just not as fun to watch as a whole when, you know, the best of the best aren't out there. It's just not as exciting. It's not as 
important, I feel like, and it's not the true version of your team. Um, so it's exciting. You know, we have another top high caliber quarterback out there. We've got a few signings this week. I'm going to kick off the first signing, let you take the rest. Uh, free agent wide receiver Jarvis Landry, a guy that we thought could be signed early on in free agency. Ended up, you know, that third wave of free agency after the draft, uh, that May signings. He signed a one-year, $6 million deal with the New Orleans Saints this past week. The deal has a base salary of $3 million itself, and another $3 million can be earned on incentives. So if he plays a certain amount of snaps, has a number of receptions, yards, touchdowns, he can earn up to $6 million. Uh, but he will earn at least $3 million being on the roster this year. And the wide receiver room as a whole looks really good uh, compared to last year. They had Michael Thomas on the roster, but he didn't play last year. So now they have Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, who they traded from 16 to 11 for in the draft, and Jarvis Landry. So that should be a really good uh, group. As long, I mean, that's a really good offense there. O-line is really good outside of left tackle. You got three really solid receivers. You got a good tight end, uh, incredible running back in Kamara, and a good quarterback. So Winston should have no excuses here. Uh, rehabbing from that ACL. I don't know how much time he will miss, but he should, that should be exciting for him to know he has all the weapons he needs to succeed in that division. Yeah, no doubt. Um, definitely some interesting stuff going on in the NFL. I think, you know, don't know when we'll see Deshaun Watson again in terms of this season. We may not even see him at all. Um, I think the, what the MLB did with Trevor Bauer, I think it's going to set a precedent for all major sports leagues with these massive, with these long-term suspensions. Um, I mean, we'll see. It's all about, you know, the NFL's personal conduct policy. So um, whether or not he, what happens with it, with the legal side of all this, with the civil kind of the civil suits he has going on, I mean, the NFL could still slap down a big suspension, which um, I mean, really the question for them is how do they want to deal with the court of public opinion? I mean, it's not about the legal courts anymore. It's about court of public opinion for them. And, um, and NFL's had some bad looks in the past. I mean, notably with, you know, Dan Snyder right now. So um, we'll see what they do there. It should be really interesting to see how they kind of handle this. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of different opinions on it. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have one yet. I don't. I don't know if I want to form one without kind of the whole due process playing out. But um, definitely, definitely interesting to sh- for sure. So definitely something we're going to be following um, pretty closely here. As the NFL going to have to make a decision here pretty soon with with uh you know with OTAs coming up in June. So um, in many camps, so they definitely got to get this figured out pretty soon. Um, Cleveland's got to get a, a situation figured out there. So I, I mean, kind of leaving Cleveland on the hook right now. So they they got to figure something out. It'd be exciting to see hypothetically let's say he's suspended at least half the season so at least that first eight games well, now, baker's, si- baker's sitting out baker ain't obviously baker ain't obviously they would have to repair <laughs> a very bad relationship uh between the browns and baker mayfield but hypothetically what if baker comes back and just balls out like top five stats i would i would, I would, lo- I would love it i think it'd be what if you know what that? it wouldn't shock me. it wouldn't shock me you would have to trade him. I don't know what the value would be because they have no leverage. You have to trade him just because of all they put in for Watson. I mean, you cannot keep him. You can't. Uh, you can't let well, him walk after him. The smart him. thing to do is to trade him. But I mean, man, I don't listen. I wouldn't. Like, let's shock say me. they're like six and two, seven and one somehow, and they're like they're top two yeah. team in the AFC. That would be insane. Like what? He but what comes do you do? Back, do you, so. Do you do you, you got to play? You gotta, uh, so, so this is obviously a hypothetical that wouldn't happen. But let's just play. Let's just play God here for a minute and say this is what's going on. You, how you so first of all, you play Baker the rest of the season. No questions asked. You right. play Baker. I mean, it depends. It depends how long the suspension is. But if he's playing that well, you feel like you got to play him. But if you play honestly, him, if the, if the suspension is up, like right at the trade deadline, you might just trade Baker and then put Watson and just start working with the guys. I mean, you don't probably expect much this year just because of the whole Watson deal. But if they're seven, I mean, but, they're, but but if they're seven and seven and one or eight and one, coming off the suspension, and Baker looks like an MVP court caliber guy, you you ride it out, you ride it out the rest of the year. You, so if you want to play, you just let him remember, walk for nothing. You trade him. You trade him. In the, well, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good. But you point. can't because he's a free agent. Because Jacoby well, Brissett be, is your be a, quarterback right be a now. Sweet, it'd be a sweet comp pick, though. They, they get a third-round comp pick. Yeah, it, it would be a third-round comp pick. But it's just <laughs> oh, I know. One thing to it's, think about is fifth-year option. He's owed a lot of money. Uh, Browns can't afford to pay him that. So I love it's, it. It's really, really weird to see how it could all go down. Uh, but as of now, I mean, Jacoby Brissett is the guy that's probably going to start week one. They brought in yeah. um, just until Watson comes back. I don't think Baker plays another game for them. 
No, I don't, I don't even think Baker goes to the facility again. I think Baker's done. I think he just – he gets traded during training camp. So, somewhere across the league, a quarterback will get hurt and a team will make a trade for Baker Mayfield because they need a quarterback. Um, but then they don't know who it's going to be. Doesn't matter. I mean, you give up a th- second or third rounder for him, and you got to have it. I mean, especially I think if it's a team like – I don't even know. Uh, I'm just thinking about this now, but, like, what if – Man, I mean, what if mm, I don't know? Like, what if Tua gets hurt? What if Tua gets hurt in, in training camp and you're like, you know what? Screw it, we're gonna trade for Baker. We have plenty of money to do so. Trade for Baker for a year, let him play, and then he's gone. And Tua's back. Like, what? That's just an example. I'm using that's the only time I think of with the, yeah. the cap space to do it. I don't, you know, but so, I just well, think I don't the team that trades for him wants him to be their quarterback of you know at least the future of the next yeah. two three years. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's difficult because, like, the market for him is going to be so weird because the quarterback class next year should be a lot better than this year's. I don't know. It's just so strange. But um, we'll, we'll move past Baker, the, the Baker Mayfield uh, s- simulation here as much as I'd love to see it. As a, as a Baker Mayfield supporter, I would I would just love it. Uh, more, more a sympathizer for what happened with Cleveland. I would love to see it. Yeah. Nevertheless, um, we'll, we'll move forward with the rest of the kind of the free agency transactions we had this week and extensions. Um, Brian Edwards, 2020 third round pick by the Raiders, uh, was traded along with a seventh round pick to the Falcons in exchange for a fifth round pick. Makes a lot of sense for them. They need another receiver. It's a light room. Even then when they drafted London, it's still a light room. So uh, get another body in there. Should be a wide receiver three, wide receiver two for them before Calvin really gets back from his gambling suspension. Uh, maybe don't make a FanDuel account with your name attached to it. Maybe that's a good place to start, Calvin. Um, I'm not really sure what he's thinking there. But uh, Green Bay Packers signed star corner Jair Alexander to a four-year, $84 million contract. Uh, he'll be a free agent in 2027. Got him some Christian Kirk money, you know what I'm saying? Uh, he's worth that money. I mean, he's a top three corner in the league when healthy probably. I think he's that guy. Um, definitely a key piece for that defense. They're noticeably worse without him on the field for sure the way that team is constructed, the way that defense runs. Um, so a couple of big moves there. Uh, get him locked up for a while. And then James Bradbury signs a one-year $10 million deal with the Eagles after getting cut by the Giants. Um, pay him 7.5 mil guaranteed, uh, or 7.25 million guaranteed, and then another $2.5 million in incentives. Um, that's about right for him. It's about what I expected, an incentive-laden deal. Um, get him on the market next offseason again. Uh, should be more competitive pay for him next year. Um, I mean, looking at these numbers, I mean, the Chargers got to be thanking their stars. They got J.C. Jackson for like 16 million a year or something like that. I mean, it's crazy. Um, the numbers that guys have been signed for now. Um, and then you got uh, the Dolphins signed for agent pass rusher Melvin Ingram to a one-year $5 million deal. Um, it's about what I expected him to get. Um, good sign for him. Good good, good, good landing spot. I know he wanted to play for Miami last year. Didn't really kind of come calling to him. So uh, gets to go there now. I'm happy for him. Uh, former Charger. Or a Pro Bowler for the Chargers, a big Melvin Ingram fan over here. And then the Chargers actually signed a free agent defense lineman Morgan Fox, so one year deal. Uh, probably gonna be around, you know, one to two million dollars. Um, but it's significant because he played a played a key role for the Staley defense in, in LA with the Rams in 2020. Um, depth signing, it allows him to kind of move on from Jerry Tillery in the future, too. So a uh, good move there for them. And then still about a dozen solid free agents available. Um, you know, the offense line market's still pretty solid. I think JC Treader's still available. Yep. Dwayne yeah, Brown he's still too. available. Yeah, the William Brown. Um, I think uh, Dennis Odell. Kelly's still available. Yeah, Odell. I would like – man, I don't even know where he's going to go. Atlanta maybe. I don't know. I don't think he wants to play in Atlanta. I think he wants a ring. But, um, yeah. yeah, there's pl- plenty of good bodies out there for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice. You know, we're seeing kind of some of the top remaining guys come off the board here, find some new homes. Uh, looking forward to see that Melvin Ingram, Emmanuel Ogba, kind of underrated pass rush duo there. In Miami, as they kind of try to build out that defense, and they're looking good. Uh, if they have, you know, good quarterback play, I think they could be a really good team this year. They just missed the playoffs last year, and I think they're another AFC team that's, you know, building out their roster, looking good on paper, and it's going to be fun to see how it all comes together in the AFC. Jair Alexander, exciting to see for him. Uh, him and Lamar are really close, both being from Louisville. Um, so it's cool to see. You know, twenty-one a year is big for him. Like you said, it's good that. Corner signed earlier. Uh, Lamar or Marlin is making 19 a year for the next four seasons. 
I know. Steal, man. It's a steal. 21. 21 puts Jair right there at the top. Denzel Ward is making like 20 point something, and Jalen Ramsey is at 20. So, I mean, uh, Jair, obviously, rightfully, uh, he was in the right for this, wanting to be the top paid corner in the league. Uh, I mean, that's the market. I mean, that's how it is. Yeah. That's just how it works, regardless of what position. James Bradbury, I thought that was a really good signing. We both kind of thought he'd be an Eagle from the get go when he was released. It's a good deal for him, for the team. Uh, Eagles are not in the AFC, but another team that's really building out their roster, looking really good on paper. Um, so they're definitely my pick to win that division there, NFC East. And I don't know. I don't know if the Cowboys will clinch a wild card. I assume they will. Um, but I definitely think the Eagles, you know, won that division. And maybe they're not a four seed. Uh, they could. I don't think they'll be the worst division winner in the NFC uh, as of now, obviously, with no injuries. Um, but I'm looking forward to see, you know, where the top running guys, we mentioned a few. Looking forward to see where they sign. Um, I think it'll be a lot of training camp signings, though. I bet Odell signs here pretty soon as we get OTAs underway. But other than that, I feel like most guys will sign in training camp. Yeah, I think it'll be kind of a right before training camp type of deal. Um, or kind of a – it was going to see like a wave, like a week or so in of like these vets – where it's like teams, they, they want to see what they have for a weekend. It's like, man, our linebacker room sucks, and we want to get another guy in there. Our, our wide receiver room is super thin. We want another guy or we want a returner or whatever. So, um, you know, a couple of guys will get signed here pretty pretty soon and probably have a dead period again. Um, kind of the, the dead period of the NFL is kind of going to set in here in the next couple of weeks, so, which isn't shocking. I mean, that's about what we expect. So uh, going to have a couple nuggets of information here and there, but not much to go off of probably for a while. Um, and then kind of some round out the podcast today. We got some news that broke while we were recording. Um, having it probably what, 30 minutes ago, uh, top wide receiver in the country of uh, 2021 Bolitnikoff award winner, Jordan Addison out of university of Pittsburgh has committed to, to USC. Um, and his trans, he entered the portal on the last day, kind of like the portal deadline for college football, um, entered the portal then, um, go make some NIL money elsewhere. We narrowed his top two down to Texas and USC yesterday um, and then committed to USC today. His He, he tweeted officially like 10 minutes ago. Um, so I'm excited. I'm really excited. You guys know USC is my second team. Uh, my dad's pumped about it too. Um, should be really good. Uh, listen, I, do I think that this is wrong? Absolutely. But it doesn't break the rules. Um, so I think Nick Saban said it best the other day. It's like, you know, the there's rules need to be set in place here. Um, and I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think – I think it sucks for Pittsburgh that they're going to lose the best receiver in the country or best returning receiver in the country as of right now um, to a to a blue blood giant because they can offer him they can have boosters that'll pay him more money. I think that sucks. I think it's terrible for college football. But again, it's not against the rules right now, so I'm not going to like be mad at USC about it. I'm not going to like shame them because it's not against the rules. So um, they need to put rules in place. So I think they'll do it this, during the season, and it's what's done is done now. Um, I think I said it yesterday to my dad. It's like once once Addison commits, what's done is done in the portal. Like the damage has been done now. There's really no going back. Um, he was kind of like the last big domino in the portal to kind of commit. And so what's done is done. They got to add some rules and play some regulations. Um, once they do that, college football will kind of write itself. But um, for now, it kind of sucks. But I'm not going to complain about it as a USC fan. They're taking advantage of it. Um, I'd be pissed if I was a Pitt fan. I, I don't like it as a college football fan. But, again, that's the reality we live in. Um, but I'm really excited for USC. Uh, he, him, and, him and Caleb Williams were from the DFW area, so uh, definitely some instant chemistry there, I think. I think they know each other kind of from recruiting, that kind of thing. Usually, you know, five-star, you know, highly touted recruits know each other from the area just growing up around playing each other. So I know in the Austin area, a lot of guys know each other that are highly rated recruits, so I'm sure it's the same in the DFW area. So I'm looking forward to seeing those two guys play together this year. Um, USC keeps loading up the offense is kind of what Lincoln Riley does, so uh, really excited about that. Yeah, no, it's definitely, like you said, uh, it isn't against the rules, but it is kind of annoying that, you know, certain teams are basically paying their way to win. So it's kind of like, you know, pro league, the way they're making it. Uh, I think they should implement a salary cap is probably the most efficient way to do it. Honestly, it's come to that point. I mean, obviously, dudes that are just going to be practice bodies are worth like a one-year 10 mil with a side of ham sandwich deal. Um <laughs> Well, with or without have, cheese, with or without cheese, though, that's the request. That's I, the, I, don't, that's I, don't, <laughs> I don't like cam to begin with, and I'm not a big fan of bread either. Hot take. I just, I'm not a big fan of sandwiches as a whole, unless you got the baguettes, like Italian bread. Hot takes. Bread. That, that's we where hit, it's at. We got the hard hitting takes on this podcast today. Man, yeah, I, I'm not, a, turkey's where it's at, but 
Hey, facts, facts. You're, you're, I mean, that's, that's facts. University of Miami basketball is probably the biggest instant. Uh, Nigel Pack, who was a point guard, he's about 5'8". He transferred from Kansas State this past year. Really their whole team. Uh, he transferred to Miami, and they're giving him 400K a year and a car. Uh, kind of crazy. We saw Bijan Robinson uh, get a Lamborghini from Lamborghini, likely a first-round pick and the top running back in next year's draft. Just Absurd. crazy, you know what teams are doing. I mean, there's not a, a lot of other official numbers that have come out, but I'm sure there's numerous other just crazy deals that have, you know, been a, become official just with the offseason. Like I said, the salary cap is the most efficient way. You sign this guy to this number. There's probably not guarantees or incentive deals or whatever, um, but that's just probably the best way to do it, just based off, you know, all the money they bring in from merchandise, ticket sales, um, and endorsements so that's my take on it obviously you know the best teams are going to get better with the current rules in place and it's just kind of it is what it is at this point uh, I feel like next year will be much different much more exciting probably uh, much more competitive football season in 2023 as well so that's just that's how I feel about it but that's pretty much it uh, we covered a lot of stuff today a little bit of a longer one um but a fun episode, I think. Uh, just a lot of stuff that happened that I didn't think we'd be talking about uh, this time last week. You know, a couple of big signings. We got the NBA lottery, NBA Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals. Second round of the NHL playoffs. Texas Tech swept Oklahoma State. We had some standing updates. The Mets just walked off. Pete Alonzo bomb, by the way. Um, and we got the Preakness coming up here. Uh, PGA, we got the second major of the year. So a ton happening. Fun time of the year, you know. We're just trying to, trying to find some content, but there's a lot more than I thought there would be at this time of year, and it's just fun to talk about it and kind of unfold it and give the thoughts on it. So we appreciate you all from listening. Um, follow us on Cold Seat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Get these episodes to you as we kind of get into more of a rhythm every Thursday here with classes being done, kind of entering the next phase of the summer with our classes and with our jobs. So we'll, we'll try to keep these to every Thursday, maybe here and there every now and then. We'll get a you know, Wednesday or a Friday episode just based off of schedules. But as of now, it'll be Thursdays. Uh, like I said, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned in on social media. Do you have anything? I don't think so. Um, hopefully, Brett sees the W tonight at the Tech game. Uh, looking forward. I'll be Hope listening. So. I'll be listening live on, on the Texas Tech sports apps for sure, watching game seven of the World over the World, <laughs> the World Series, the NBA what Eastern Conference Finals. Game not game seven. I'm I'm all over the place right now. Uh, game two tonight, so I'll watch that. But yeah, should be should be really good. Um, that's about it though. Yeah, we'll see y'all soon. See you guys later.